Chapter 1 Team Alignment Workshop When we initially designed Strat Pro, our first workshop focused on creating the long-term vision of the organisation. All good strategic transformation efforts need to have an exciting vision that guides the process. Yet, when Strat Pro facilitators began delivering the workshops, they realised that unless the strategic leadership team is fully aligned, an exciting vision and well-thought-out plan really doesn't matter. They were right. The first steps of a transformation effort needs to get the leaders aligned. StratPro starts with a team alignment workshop. StratPro's two primary tools for achieving this alignment are a DISC assessment and discussion and communications commitment exercise. The dysfunctional team. Prior to developing StratPro, I worked with a team of highly capable executives in a strategic planning engagement. Each executive knew their part of the business very well. The team collectively had a high degree of technical competence in their respective areas. The workshop started off very well. The team was excited to work on the strategic aspects of their organisation. They were glad to have an external facilitator in the room to lead the process so they could all concentrate on the discussions. The first couple of workshops were positive and the team felt like they made real progress. Yet, I noticed that the team kept coming back to issues within the team. I would get the workshops back on track only to have the conversation devolve into team dynamics. This continued for a short while longer, but eventually the strategic planning effort just lacked genuine progress. The team simply was not prepared to work on more strategic aspects of the business until they sorted out issues among themselves. While this was a high-skilled team, their skill level didn't matter much. The team simply did not trust each other. They would make a commitment in the room, but when they left, they'd have individual discussions that undermined the outcomes from the workshop. The team made decisions in the workshop, yet when they came back for the next workshop, those decisions were already undermined. All the skill in the world could not compensate for the dysfunction of this team. The Five Dysfunctions Patrick Lencioni wrote a seminal book on the topic of team dynamics called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. According to Lencioni, the five dysfunctions are absence of trust, unwilling to be vulnerable within the group, fear of conflict, seeking artificial harmony over constructive, passionate debate, lack of commitment, feigning buy-in for group decisions creates ambiguity throughout the organisation, Avoidance of accountability, ducking the responsibility to call peers on counterproductive behaviour which sets low standards. Inattention to results, focusing on personal success, status and ego before team success. When most people see this list, they understand that an absence of trust, a lack of commitment, avoidance of accountability and being inattentive to results are big problems for teams. Most leaders, however, think that conflict is bad. Lencioni explains that there is bad conflict and there is healthy conflict. A team that resists all forms of conflict, even if they disagree with someone, to remain comfortable is not a high-performing team. Instead, high-performing teams welcome healthy conflict. They embrace debate on substance, ensuring it is not personal. The team respects the opinions of each other, 
and all members are willing to have their ideas challenged so that the group gets to the very best result. Lencioni summarises his findings as follows. Successful teamwork is not about mastering subtle, sophisticated theories, but rather about combining common sense with uncommon levels of discipline and persistence. Ironically, teams succeed because they are exceedingly human. By acknowledging the imperfections of their humanity, members of functional teams overcome the natural tendencies that make teamwork so elusive. Lencioni identified what a team should not do if they want to be a high-performing team. So, what should a high-performing team do? What would Aristotle do? Google hires the best and brightest engineers on the planet. Yet they struggle with the same kinds of experiences that I have described above. All of their teams have high-performing individuals. Some teams succeeded while other teams failed. They launched a massive study named Project Aristotle to identify why some teams excelled while other teams fell behind. They found that there are five attributes to a high-performing team. Psychological safety. Psychological safety refers to an individual's perception of the consequences of taking an interpersonal risk or a belief that a team is safe for risk-taking in the face of being seen as ignorant, incompetent, negative or disruptive. In a team with high psychological safety, teammates feel safe to take risks around their team members. They feel confident that no one on the team will embarrass or punish anyone else for admitting a mistake, asking a question or offering a new idea. Dependability On dependable teams, members reliably complete quality work on time versus the opposite, shirking responsibilities. Structure and clarity An individual's understanding of job expectations, the process for fulfilling these expectations, and the consequences of one's performance are important for team effectiveness. Goals can be set at the individual or group level and must be specific, challenging and attainable. Meaning Finding a sense of purpose in either the work itself or the output is important for team effectiveness. The meaning of work is personal and can vary. Financial security, supporting family, helping the team succeed, or self-expression for each individual, for example. Impact. The results of one's work, the subjective judgment that your work is making a difference, is important for teams. Seeing that one's work is contributing to the organization's goals can help reveal impact. We've all had experiences like the one I described above. The team consists of top performers in their areas, yet the team dynamics are poor. People are reluctant to speak up and challenge each other. They feel like there are repercussions for what they say. Rather than getting the best thinking from the team, the team only gets a fraction of the group's potential. Imagine what it would be like if the Aristotle findings were practiced. The team has collective meaning and purpose. Everyone feels safe to voice their opinion. Conflict occurs, but it is focused on finding the best solution, not on personal attacks. The leader of the group is an equal participant with everyone else and welcomes being challenged and getting the best ideas from the group. This is psychological safety, and this is what we strive to achieve in StratPro workshops. Using DISC to improve team alignment. StratPro utilizes DISC as a starting point to improve SLT alignment. DISC is the how of your actions, that is, behaviors. 
Research has consistently shown that behavioral characteristics can be grouped together in four quadrants, or styles. People with similar styles tend to exhibit specific types of behavior common to that style. One of the challenges with poor performing teams is a lack of understanding of each other and appreciation for what each team member brings to the team. A person's behavior is a necessary and integral part of who they are. In other words, much of our behavior comes from nature, inherent, and much comes from nurture, upbringing. The DISC model merely analyzes behavioral style, that is, a person's manner of doing things. The DISC profile describes the core behavioral styles that determine how a person solves problems and interacts with others. It shows the pace at which he or she feels comfortable at working and the way he or she responds to rules and procedures. The DISC profile consists of the following four primary categories. Dominant. Demanding, decisive, direct, and fast-paced. Influential. Social, enthusiastic, fast-paced, and persuasive. Steady. Patient, sincere, calming, and dependable. Compliant. Accurate, precise, slow-paced, and analytical. To expand on these categories. D stands for dominance. People with this primary behavior style place emphasis on accomplishing results, the bottom line, and have high confidence. Common behaviors are seeing the big picture, being blunt, accepting challenges, and getting straight to the point. Someone with a high D score on DISC assessment, a high D, may express their emotion through anger. I stands for influence or influential. People with this primary behavior style place emphasis on influencing or persuading others. They tend to be open and value relationships. Common behaviors are enthusiasm and collaboration. They tend to like to receive attention. A high I tends to express their emotion through optimism. S stands for steadiness. People with this primary behavioral style place emphasis on cooperation, sincerity, and dependability. Common behaviors include not wanting to be rushed, calmness, and being supportive and collaborative. They aren't comfortable with a lot of change or chaos. High S individuals tend not to express emotion. They can be tough to read. You may need to ask more questions of a high S to understand what they are feeling. C stands for compliance. People with this primary behavioral style place emphasis on quality, accuracy, expertise, and competency. Common behaviors include independence, objective reasoning, and detail orientation. They need the facts, sometimes all the facts, before making decisions. They can be perfectionists. High Cs tend to express their emotion with fear. They don't want to be wrong. Note that individuals that are high in multiple DISC areas will demonstrate a blend of the behaviors for each. Why is DISC important? By understanding the behavioral styles of the people you work with regularly, the communication and effectiveness will increase substantially. Also, your greater self-awareness will help you become a better communicator. StratPro includes several exercises working with DISC reports to assist SLT alignment. First, the SLT discusses the behavioral areas that the team overall is strong in and weak in based on the profiles of the whole team. 
Some teams will identify that they are concentrated in one or two areas of the disc and light in other areas. This will help explain some of their past challenges as a team and put steps in place to address them. Second, StratPro includes exercises to help SLT members understand each other as individuals. Healthy communication erodes when people compartmentalise each other and don't interact with them as individuals. Members see each other's disc and discuss the strengths and weaknesses of each other's styles. This helps them better understand each other and also to adapt each other's styles to fit the individual they are communicating with. In this part of the workshop, it's not uncommon to hear comments like, Now I realise why our conversations seem to be frustrating to both of us. I now understand why I saw your lack of emotion as not caring. It's just part of who you are. Your need to drill down into so much detail always felt like a waste of time to me, but I can see that we have different profiles and our need for details varies markedly. While these insults are valuable for the team to better understand each other, the result from the DISC discussion should not simply be a theoretical exercise. If SLT members leave this session understanding each other but not making commitments to improve, then the workshop falls short. Instead, each SLT member should make a number of concrete commitments to the group in areas they will improve on, based on their DISC style. While we can't change who we are, we can adapt our styles and can also put processes in place to compensate behaviours that may impact the overall team. For example, if a high D tends to dominate the conversation, they may commit to letting other people speak first. The SLT may also realise that the overall group has gaps. They may not have anyone with a high attention to detail and may realise this causes them to gloss over important details. They may decide to recruit another employee in the organisation to the SLT that is a high C. A safe place. Committing to building trusting team communication. The other exercise in aligning the SLT is the communications commitment exercise. You might think the communication in your company's meetings, especially the executive meetings, is just fine. Chances are it's not. You just get used to a certain style of communication. Individual team members slip into certain patterns. Some team members dominate the conversations. Do they really have the best ideas? Other team members hold back or even become withdrawn. The group dynamics after a while seem normal. But just think what your leadership would be able to achieve if the team was able to break down communication barriers allowing all team members to participate fully in discussions. We've seen what a group of smart people can accomplish when they have a process for communicating optimally. It's amazing. A powerful propriety technique called the communications commitment exercise can quickly help you create open and trusting two-way communication. Communications commitment creates a sanctuary, a safe place for two-way communication. It does so through a series of interactions that effectively lower the natural defences people raise in response to perceived attacks from others. Once each party in an exchange starts lowering their defences, communication can, and does, improve. A facilitated session with this exercise will get the best result. The exercise involves three questions. 
The responses must be written down as the questions are read aloud, and there should be no judgment as to the rightness or wrongness of the written responses. A best practice is for the responses to these questions to be written down on a flip chart by the facilitator so that all parties can easily read them. The first question to ask is, what characteristics must be present for you to feel totally safe? So safe that you can be completely honest and open with those around you. The second question to ask is, when someone does not feel safe in a meeting, they don their armour. Different individuals use different types of armour. What characteristics cause you to don your armour? The last question to ask is, how can we benefit from taking off our armour and making a commitment to improved communication? Each attendee offers answers to the questions. Once the exercise concludes, the resulting input forms the organisation's communications charter. This charter identifies all the things the team commits to not doing in their meetings that cause them to don their armour, and all the positive behaviours that they commit to doing, so that every team member brings their best selves to each meeting. The positive behaviours can be considered above-the-line behaviours and the negative behaviours below the line. One of the keys to keeping the environment safe for open two-way communication is the willingness of all participants to make a commitment. That commitment is mandatory and is as follows. In future meetings, each person will refrain from any of the comments or actions identified as causing other attendees to don his or her armour. If any party is not willing to agree to this condition, the communications commitment exercise will not deliver positive results for you or your organisation. On the other hand, if all parties are willing to make this commitment, this exercise will result in a significant improvement in the effectiveness of your communication. It's as simple as that. An important element of the communications charter is that it is policed by all attendees. If, despite this mutual commitment, an inadvertent violation of the charter occurs, one person in the group must politely point out that one of the attendees is in violation. Following this process requires a change in paradigm in most groups, one that explicitly encourages each attendee to tactfully, but persistently, engage with another team member when he or she perceives a violation of the charter. It might sound like this. You know, Jim, I hate to say it, but I think you just interrupted me there, and with all respect, that's not what we agreed to. The key moment in the communications commitment process comes not when the agreement is made, but when people hold each other accountable for fulfilling its terms. The communications list developed by one company's planning team noted using the expression stupid to refer to an action or comment by another team member was a major cause for armour to be donned and for open communications to shut down. At the very next meeting, one of the members referred to an idea being expressed as stupid. Immediately, Another member politely, tactfully and persistently pointed out the commitment the group had made to not use the term stupid. The person who had used the word instantly apologised and the tense atmosphere relaxed. Over a year later, 
The owner of the company commented he was amazed at how quickly the cooperation among his management team had improved from the moment attention was called to this type of violation of the communications charter. Once you have completed the communications commitment exercise, the communications charter should be expanded to include the concept of calling breach. Whenever you call breach, you can express a concern about something you object to that showed up in another person's communication, but you can do so in a light and almost humorous fashion. To reduce sensitivities and keep it light, some groups call out a violation by tapping their nose while saying, communications breach. You may want to come up with a clever or humorous phrase for calling breach. At TAB, we tap our nose and call tabby nose. Calling breach with people who have gone through this process with you can be extremely effective because everyone understands what you mean and because, when it is done correctly, no confrontation or escalation is involved. People can safely let down their guard. The following are some common responses to each of the three key questions. Conditions that have to be present at meetings for our employees to feel safe so that they can act in an honest and open manner. Absence of hidden agendas. Sincerity. Trust. One conversation. Openness. Neutral environment. No fear. Listening generously. Non-judgmental atmosphere. Goal-oriented discussions. Win-win atmosphere. Common verbal armour defence mechanisms. Interrupting, sabotaging, defensive response, deflecting, changing the subject, avoiding or diverting issue, yelling, over-aggressiveness, sarcasm, cynical remarks, eye-rolls, sighs. Common causes of verbal armour defence mechanisms, side conversations, overly aggressive behaviour, Attempting to control. Appearance of favouritism. Withholding facts. Overly emotional responsiveness. Not listening. Grandstanding, overselling, persuading. Excuses. Devaluing others' opinions based on years' experience. Commonly cited benefits of reducing verbal armour. Greater participation. Enhanced teamwork. Greater productivity. Better preparation. Increased creativity. Better use of time and energy. Effectiveness. Synergistic solutions. Accountability. Trust. Motivating. Very often, there are complex emotional, personal and social factors to consider here. Communications commitment builds up the trust necessary to help the team address these issues sensitively. One executive I worked with, someone who was a key factor in making many of my plans succeed, was perceived by her co-workers as having a strong air of overconfidence, of being condescending, and of considering herself incapable of error. In one-on-one -on -one meetings, I found even the slightest hint of criticism thrown her way caused her to lose focus and become overly defensive. As soon as she heard me say anything she interpreted as criticism, 
Her facial expressions and body language noticeably changed to indicate her focus on what we were discussing had been lost, and she was instead thinking about how she was going to protect herself against perceived criticism. Because we had conducted the communications commitment process together, we were able to identify that part of the problem was my making certain comments that caused her to don her verbal armour. Together, we had gotten much better at avoiding these polarising exchanges. In private discussions, though, we were able to determine that, even though these kinds of comments were a problem, they weren't the entire problem. At one point, I had a lengthy heart-to-heart chat with her about these issues. She said the problem stemmed from her childhood, and her air of overconfidence was, in fact, a cover for problems she had with low self-esteem. This explained why she was so sensitive to perceived criticism. I had to decide what communication style would be most effective to use with this executive, so she would not feel threatened and lose her focus. From that point on, whenever I felt she was approaching something in the wrong way, I always tried to begin my communications with her by mentioning something she was doing right, and she did most things right. Then I would talk to her about the things she was doing that did not satisfy me. I made it a point to criticise her actions rather than criticising her as a person. This is an important communication principle for all relationships, but it took on a special importance with this particular executive who was, I must emphasise, an extremely important and valuable member of our team. After I began using a communication style better tailored to her personality, most of the barriers to our trusting two-way communications disappeared and we had a very productive working relationship from that point forward. The changes we made to establish a pattern of trusting two-way communication simply would not have been possible without the communications commitment process. A high-performing strategic leadership team The goal of a high-performing team should be to achieve the team objectives identified by Project Aristotle. Psychological safety. They feel safe that they can express their views openly and honestly without retaliation or negative communication behaviours such as aggressiveness, sarcasm and raised voices. Dependability. All SLT members trust that the other team members will do what they say they are going to do. This includes the follow-up work coming out of the StratPro workshops. Structure and clarity. The StratPro process will provide the structure and clarity for the group overall through the exercises and resulting organisation plan. Meaning. Because the SLT is directly involved in shaping the vision and strategic direction of the organisation, they have a direct role in defining a future that is meaningful to them and to all the employees in the organisation. Impact. Because the SLT was invited to this important undertaking, StratPro should have a sense of built-in impact. The SLT should believe that their contributions are making a difference. That was then, this is now. The first workshop is critical to getting StratPro off to a great start. Some SLTs will view the first workshop sceptically. The team alignment workshop is the chance for them to realise things are different and better. The team has to sense that things are different in this workshop. This starts with the DISC exercise. 
where SLT members are speaking openly about their profiles, both strengths and weaknesses. They are providing open feedback to each other and communicating in a way that they hadn't in the past. Some of the discussion is uncomfortable to some SLT members, but they should realise that performing better requires everyone getting outside their comfort zones. Each individual will make a commitment to the group on behavioural areas that commit to improving. The communications commitment exercise builds on this enhanced communication. It creates a charter based on how the SLT does and does not want to communicate with each other. The SLT owns the communications charter. They develop. They also own making sure the charter is followed. A high-performing team is willing to challenge each other when they aren't interacting above the line. Good teams should also catch each other performing at a high standard and point this out. This is just the beginning. Once the team alignment workshop is completed, will the SLT perform as a high-performing, well-oiled machine from this point forward? Probably not. This workshop is critically important, but it is just the start. A high-performing team needs to continually work on improving itself. Having a facilitator in these workshops helps to keep the team performing well and identify opportunities to optimise team performance. Team performance improvement is a difficult, long-term effort, and this process sets the SLT on this path to be a high-performing team.